Good morning, church. It's great to see you guys today. It's great to see me too. Thank you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, um, it is special to be in the presence of God. And I believe that God is present here today. And I want to say to you, I pray that you encounter him in a way uh, that profoundly changes your life today. It's a special. You know, uh, year to date, let me make sure I get these numbers right. We celebrate the work of God here with 297 people giving their lives to the Lord. And, and of that number, 197 have gone public with baptism. Listen, uh, man, God is good, y'all. And I think that there's this, this kind of weird tension sometimes when, when we give metrics. Sometimes we feel like we're giving, well, we don't. Sometimes people feel like we're giving ourselves a pat on the back. I want to be crystal clear about something. Uh, that is not what's happening. Uh, this doesn't happen unless God moves. And we want to be faithful to acknowledge that what God is doing here is changing lives. And we want to put all the praise in his courts where they belong, okay? So let's give a shout of praise real quick to the Lord for what he's doing in this place. I'll just tell you, as we're singing these songs, I'm just remembering, some, sometimes these songs become uh, milestones in our faith journey. And I'm, I'm specifically reminded of this one. I speak Jesus. <laughs> and how months ago God used that just in my life to speak promises to me. Anchored in his word to be sure. Okay, we're going to get there. Okay. But man, God is faithful. And I pray that you encounter that faithful God today in a way that changes your life. I'm so glad that you are here, everybody. And so if you're visiting with us today for the first time, I want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Colin. I'm the student pastor for BT Church. Um, I'm also the missions pastor, um, and uh, I'm grateful that you're here. And um, for everybody else that's not here for the first time, I'm glad you're here too, all right? This is family, right? Those of you who are visiting, I, I pray that you find a home here. It's a special place to be. Um, we, I'm just grateful to be a part of what God is doing here. Uh, but what I need everybody to do in this room is welcome our online campus. So if you guys would just make some noise uh, for our online campus, we're glad that you guys are able to join us today. Man, uh, again, guys, it is, it is awesome to get to be in this place. And, you know, I'll just be honest with you. You know, we, we sing these songs. I speak Jesus. And, and sometimes these, these songs anticipate healing. And we want so badly to get to healing when we're hurting. Amen? Let's try again. Amen? <laughs> Listen, because we've been through some hurts. We need to understand, guys, that, that, that healing is a, a, a byproduct, it's a fruit of God's faithfulness in the hurt. And, and I'm not immune to hurts, you're not immune to hurts, but sometimes in church what we do is we, we kind of posture where we just think to ourselves, everybody needs to see me at my best. Meanwhile, we know full well that God's word speaks that he can see beyond what a, a Catholic priest called the unadorned self. He sees beyond what we present, and he sees at the heart of every person a soul worth dying for to save. I want to tell you today that 
whatever you're feeling today, God sees you and he loves you. And God wants to save you today. And so here, here's, the, here's the thing I want to talk about. We're going to talk about hurts today. Is that okay? Okay, not a wonderful response to that. But that's okay. That's, that's how it goes. But I, I've had some experiences dealing with uh, church folks because I'm one of you. <laughs> uh, I grew up in church. I, my, my grandfather was a pastor. My dad is a pastor. Um, found out a couple years ago that my great-grandfather was a, a pastor, which is cool. Um, so what is that, fourth generation? I can count. Fourth generation means we have to have figured something out at this point. But if you know me well enough to know, I'm pretty imperfect myself. But listen, in dealings with uh, the hurts of people, uh, I have found time and time again that when people go through painful situations, uh, there starts to bubble up a lot of questions. And I'll never forget a conversation I had a few years ago with, with a young gentleman that I'd been discipling for a little while who was just really going through a hard time. And I mean, the guy loved the Lord, um, but through a series of, of, of decisions, um, he landed himself in some pretty hot water and we were talking through some stuff. And, and try as he might, he couldn't quite pick himself up by the bootstraps and we're sitting over coffee. He looks right at me. He just says, where is God in all this? Now, now he directed that question at me. And in some ways, I feel like it might have been uh, an assault on my faith. You know, like he, he wanted to be faithful to what God was doing, but he wanted me, like, okay, pastor, help me out with some answers because what I'm feeling right now, what I'm experiencing right now is not good. So wh where is God in all of this? And I I'm here to tell you that the way he framed that question to me, I could have easily jumped into some scripture and some Bible, and, and I could have just met him with an answer that would have been a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. But what he did for me in that moment was he... he Man, he just, he made me feel what he felt. Not because I'd made the same choice as he made it, but because I've, I've, I've been in the middle of hurt before too. And I'm willing to bet that, that the majority of us in here have had very similar questions about some of the pains that we've gone through. We've had some similar um, hurts that have come maybe as a consequence to our own sin and rebellion against God, but maybe sometimes it's just the effects of a broken world that we live in where we just uh, are innocent in, in most of the matters, but, but the hurt still gets to us. Any wounded people in the house of God today? So where we're going to talk about hurts today, I want you to know that I'm a lot less... Um, concerned with sympathizing with your hurts, though I can do that. Um, but I'm a lot more concerned about strengthening your hopes. Because we all want the healing, but sometimes we forget that the hurt is the prerequisite to the healing. And guys, we serve a faithful God. And so where we can celebrate salvations and baptisms, may we never forget that the numbers represented there are hurting souls that have found healing and hope in Jesus Christ.
I'm so glad you're here today. I'm so glad that you're here today. So uh, we are a few weeks into our Experiencing God series, and so we are part two of a, ser- uh, of, of a mini-series within it just called God Speaks. And, and uh, Experiencing God is this Bible study that we've been doing as, as a church. Here's a shameless plug. Get involved. It's amazing. On Wednesdays, we are meeting in this place. Adults are meeting in this place, having roundtable discussions over a workbook that you can purchase in the, the, the store here uh, called Experiencing God. It's an old classic. Henry Blackaby wrote it. It's really good. Uh, we are now in the second part of the God Speaks portion. And, and what Blackaby does for us in this passage is he writes out kind of a framework for us as believers about how it is that God speaks to us. And what we can find through Blackaby's work, uh, which again is rooted in scripture, is that God speaks to us through his word, which I think we, pray, we preach faithfully here, uh, God speaks to us in our prayer life, which we encourage you to have and try to help facilitate that with you as well. Um, God speaks through his church. Praise God, you are here in his church. God speaks, I pray through the pulpit, but I, you also know he speaks through his people, the church. But what we're talking about today is the fourth component of that, and that is that God speaks through our situations, our circumstances. And the situation that I want to really kind of highlight today out of God's word is that that we will experience some hurt in life. And where we might experience that hurt and immediately turn around and, and throw this emotional grenade into the presence of God's people and say, where is God in this? We can rest on the truth that God is present in the midst of our hurts. That God is still good in the midst of our hurts. And an added layer that I think we often forget, God speaks in the presence of our hurts. So I have this conversation with with youth more recently, especially because of the Bible study, our our students. And I'll just ask them, like, like, what are some evidences that you see that God is around you? Well, they're like, well, I got a front row parking spot at HEB and praise God. Hey, praise God for that, right? But there's other things where I'm like, so, so how, how does God speak to you? And there's been a, 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 a lot of students that have kind of voiced this, this thing, and, and I think it comes from a good place, so stick with me. I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but it's like, man, you know, like, I almost, I got, I almost got in a car wreck, and man, like, we were, we were spared. And I'm just reminded that the big guy upstairs is always watching out for me. Listen, I, I think that that's Okay. But I want to tell you that sometimes what happens is we just relegate God to out there somewhere. And we forget that that big guy upstairs is not a big guy upstairs, really. He's the God of our world, of, of our lives, of our creation, right? Like, and that God up there is actually deeply invested and interested in us, in you. That God speaks to you. And where hurts may be the thing that we use to clog our ears and stifle the, or at least in our minds, stifle the voice of God, what we can find through the truth of God's word is that God speaks in the presence of our hurts. We're going to be studying today in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And we're looking at um, two stories, really, uh, just about some people who encountered Jesus in their hurts. And, and what we find in the encounter was not so much that they just kind of happened upon him, but they actually sought him out for healing in their hurts. And what I think we're going to find in this is that these, these two stories, back-to-back stories in the, in the Gospel of Luke, 
um, they shine a spotlight on a remarkable example of what hope can look like that we have a lot to learn from today. So we're going to talk through four realities of how God speaks to us in our circumstance or situation. And so here's what the Word of God says in uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, but I'm going to stop at verse 10 today for now. This is what the Word of God says. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And a centurion servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him uh, to come and save the life of his servant. And when they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him, earnestly saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation and he has built a synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and the servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard this and was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. And when those who had, been, who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that regardless of how we may feel about our situation, you maintain sovereignty. That God, you don't look at our situations and shrink back. You don't look at the, the weight that we carry and get intimidated. But God, you step in to relieve and heal. So Lord, I pray that as your word is preached today, I pray your spirit would heal the hurts that we have in this room and inspire us to remarkable hope. We love you so much, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's four realities to experiencing God in your situation. And this story, what we find is, is the centurion, right? He, he's a, a man of high uh, esteem in that culture. I want to remind you guys as we think through the fact that this is an ancient story, like a different culture than ours. The, there's this long history of the Jewish people, and they were awaiting this Messiah. Here's Jesus in their midst. They don't quite recognize it yet, but they do see that something's different about him. Just a couple chapters previously, he had been healing some people, and that word got out. It didn't get out just amongst the Jews, but it got out amongst the Gentiles. Too. And what, why that's important to us today is because when Jesus is talking to the centurion, we need to recognize this centurion is not a Jew. He's a Roman, right? He, he's actually one of the people that is, is uh, in this place of authority over the people of God. Now, God for centuries, for, for generations, had promised his people that they would, be a they would be blessed and they would be a blessing to the world. But through a series of circumstances, what we find now is this favored people of God finds themselves under the, th the thumb of the Romans. And where we might immediately jump to the conclusion that that means that they are at odds and they're at war. We find this unique relationship between the centurion and the Jews. These Jewish elders call him worthy. 
They say, Jesus, come heal his servant because he is a worthy man. What we can find out in that is that he was uh, a benefactor, right? He, he helped pay for a synagogue so, uh, in, in Capernaum so that the people of God, the Jewish people, can worship. And he found themselves in the favor of God's people time and time and time again. It's so interesting to me that the people of God call this Roman man a man of high worth. They call him worthy. But this man... Roman centurion con consistently makes choices and decisions on the right conclusion that he is unworthy to be in the presence of Jesus. You see, when we're talking about four realities about experiencing God in your situation, the first reality for us is that we need to recognize that there is a positional reality. And I just want to Highlight this, right? The centurion easily, with all the authority he has, with all the favor he has with the people, he could have easily snapped his fingers and told everybody what to do. He could have easily have seen himself as somebody and gone to Jesus, sought him out and said, you will do this for me because he could probably do that just about anywhere in Capernaum and get away with it. But he displays a remarkable humility that I think we have a lot to learn from. You see, that, that, that word worthy for us is an interesting word because worthy is something that we attri attribute to somebody. It's, it's a title, a designation we want to give to somebody that we think is kind of sitting at the top of the heap. It's somebody that we look to and, and, and we, we want to trust their leadership. We want to listen for their wisdom, right? Like even in our social order, right? There are people in your life that I guarantee you, if they walk into your house, you immediately start to recognize how dirty your house is, right? <laughs> Just me? Okay. Or it's that, that other reality that, that we think that when somebody shows up, like we just kind of, everybody straightens up and the teacher's here, right? But when the substitute's in the classroom, we start acting up. It's because we hold people in high regard, and what we can easily do is because we've been conditioned this way by our cultures, we can look at people that we esteem as worthy and we can immediately say to them that they, because of their worth, because of their value, because of the things that they contribute to society, they are more worthy of God's healings than you and I are. And again, it's interesting that, that the Jewish people thought that of this man when he didn't think of himself. The positional reality that we can learn from this is that when we are in the midst of our pain, the centurion, his servant, is dying. It's ill, gravely ill. Jesus steps near to the hurt. Even though the guy says, don't, <laughs> There's, there's some cool reasons for that. I don't have time to get into it. But like, he says, don't. Like, you could just say it and make it happen. What we can learn is that, man, like, Jesus is not intimidated by situations or even sometimes our social constructs. But when we experience hope, Jesus, I mean, when we experience hurt, what we know is Jesus offers up a healthy dose of hope. And I think about it this way, right? Like, even as I was preparing for some of this stuff, I just had this, this thought that, Man, we just go through hurt in life, don't we? we? We do. And sometimes we feel like it is un, 
do to us, right? Like we didn't do anything to deserve the kind of things that we go through in life. Are y'all with me on that? We, we feel it and it hurts and it feels like it hurts worse and worse and worse. But what we tend to do is sometimes whenever we're in the midst of pain, we react to our lowest level of training, right? And that is that we take what the world teaches us and we apply it to God. And what that means is we show up to church, we do the things, we say the rosaries, we say the prayers, we read New Morning Mercies, we do the right things that we've been told to do as a means of kind of twisting God's arm to give us what we are looking for. And I think that that's kind of what the Jewish people were doing here. They're like, don't you see all of what he's done? He loves, he loves your people, Jesus. He paid for the synagogue to worship our God, Jesus. He is worthy of it. But this man says, no, I, I, I'm not worthy of anything. I, maybe I'm a person of high regard, but at, at, the, at the foot of the throne of God, I'm nobody. And I want to say this with love and respect for you in my heart. Hey, at the, at the foot of the throne of God, you are nobody. Now, before we get too heavy on that, you're also somebody, okay? But not because of anything that you bring to the table, but it's because God sees you and he loves you. God created you in his image. He has placed intrinsic value in you. And when God sees you hurting, it hurts him. We know this, right? When Lazarus, his buddy died, Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus has the authority to fix, heal, everything. But our hurts hurt even him. And because he loves us, he draws near to the hurt. The positional reality that we have needs to be that we are decidedly marked by humility. We don't get to show up and tell God what he's going to do for us because we came to church today. We, we don't get to show up and tell God what he's going to do for us because my grandma prayed for me that things would get healed. We don't get to show up and, and tell God what he's going to do because we gave extra tithes. We don't get to show up and tell God what he's going to do. What we get to do is show up and say, God, I recognize that you are good. I recognize you're sovereign. And God, I'm here for it. I may be in the middle of my hurt, but God, I trust that there's healing in your name. And whenever it comes, I'm for it. I just need to be close to you. Isn't that the testimony that we see laid out here? Jesus, you don't even have to come. You you can just say it. I, I know you have the power to do it positional reality. God doesn't owe us anything, but he does love us. And what that means for us is that God is present. I said it earlier, right? A lot of us try to treat God as if he's some distant reality. We want to honor him at that, recognize he created everything, but we cannot afford to forget that God is also near. One of my favorite passages in scripture too is that God is near to the brokenhearted. Listen, I work with teenagers. There's a lot of broken hearts in teenage world, okay? And though our teenagers, myself included, may feel like God is distant when the hurt sets in, nothing could be farther than the truth. And so we position ourselves humbly to seek him out, to trust in his power, to see what he's doing. We need to guard our hearts against believing that God owes us something. We've got to stop trying to earn God's favor because we can't. 
But we can experience God in our situation when, like the centurion, we move in faith, even if it's a limited faith, even if it's an incomplete faith. The centurion made moves to find healing because, because he had hope that Jesus could provide it. So as you encounter your hopes, move in faith. Trust that God is capable of healing. But trust that your hope is best placed in him. The second reality for us, and there's also the potential reality. I think about this story that, that these uh, the centurion just shows such remarkable faith in the way that he goes after Jesus, right? He knew Jesus had the potential uh, to heal the sick servant, uh, where Jesus could change the situation. But I love that he did not go to Jesus and say, well, make it happen. He didn't presume upon it, right? He didn't, he didn't look to Jesus and say, you owe me. There was no, nothing about his attitude uh, that, that, that was misplaced in the, his approach to Jesus. But what we can learn is, that I think is super important is that whenever he approaches Jesus in this way by sending delegates out to go approach Jesus, what we see is he did this because he believed in God's potential to change his hurt. Now, here's what I want to get at, right? I got to kind of wheel back a little bit just so it's not so confusing. What does it mean to have, to see potential in people? Easy, right? You see somebody, you're like, man, you may not have it all together right now, but if you stick to it, I believe that the sky's the limit for you. Like we know some of those people, right? Like we know that there's those people, whether they're academics, it's like, man, if you just, if you hit those books hard, man, you're going to end up at a great college, or, or professionals in the room. I'm sorry, I'm not talking to teenagers now. But like the professionals in the room, right? If you continue to work hard, if you continue to apply yourself and you get those credentials, what can happen for you is you can move up the corporate ladder and you will be somebody. The potential for you is unmatched. You are special. Like we know those people. Now, what's the opposite of that? When we don't see potential in somebody, sometimes we just, we see the hopelessness in somebody. We're just like, man, I just don't believe that that guy can do much more with his life than he's currently done. Well, we would never say it, but you think it. I know you. <laughs> I would never. I'm kidding. But really, the alternative to seeing potential is to almost condemn somebody. To just say, man, like that, there's nothing more that can come out of your life than this. You've hurt me too much. You, you, you've crossed too many lines. You talked about my mom. Like, what, whatever it is, we get to that spot. We're just like, I'm going to hold you right here, and I'm never going to see anything else out of you. But listen, if, if that's the alternative, what's happening for us there is we're just maintaining a bleak outlook at life. And sometimes we apply that same thinking into our hurts. Where we're just like, man, this thing is just too much. I'm never going to get out of this. It's, okay, I did this for first service. Uh, Winnie the Pooh, y'all know who I'm talking about there? Right? It's your favorite, I know. Bedtime stories for you. He has this friend named Eeyore, right? And Eeyore is, oh, it's probably going to get broken anyway, Right? Like that, that's the kind of attitude I'm talking about where we hold people to that too. It's just like, well, what's the point? 
It's never going to get fixed. Nothing's ever going to improve. And what we do is we, we, we apply that to our situation, completely losing sight of God's potential to not just fix the situation, but to work through it and make it better. You see, what we need to begin to do is, is develop the discipline of the divine perspective. Divine perspective, meaning see things the way that God sees them. Put on the, the lenses of potential. Choose every day, every morning to see your hurt through the eyes of God who sees your hurt and inspires hope. Now listen, in order to do this, I'm not asking you to just assume wishful thinking. I'm not asking you to... Um, to just hold to a naive worldview. I'm asking you to choose, to make the conscious choice to see your situation through the lenses of God's goodness and God's sovereignty. Make your choice to see your situation through the lenses of God's goodness and God's sovereignty. And listen, when you talk about God's goodness and God's sovereignty, these promises are always anchored into God's word. I just want to remind you, Henry Blackaby, when he's talking about the fact that God speaks, he's very clear that God speaks to us in four ways. More often than not, God will speak to us in more than one of just, uh, more than just one of those things. And that's why it's so important for us to get deeply entrenched in the word of God. I have a friend of mine that's a, a pit master, right? He, he barbecues a lot. I think that's what you call it. I don't, obviously. But I'm trying, <laughs> trying to feed my family and take on a new hobby and I said, hey, how long do I need to marinate this meat for? And he says, it depends on how much of it you want in the meat. How deep into, into the food do you want that marinade to go? You see, the more time that's spent marinating, the more that flavor gets in and around that meat, and that's better for you. Now, I think that that's a lot of what what King David is talking about in the Psalms when he says that I meditate on your law, your precepts day and night. See, I think what we do, uh, unfortunately, sometimes is we apply Eastern thinking to terms like meditation. And we think that that means that we need to go away somewhere, sit Indian style, make some weird hand gestures, and recite our Lama Lamas, right? And just empty our mind. But man, what Richard Foster says is the, the goal of Christian meditation is not to empty your mind. That's, that's half the battle. You, you empty your mind so that it may be filled with the wisdom of God. I think it was Chesterton said an open mind is about as good as an open mouth. You just need to find something solid to bite down on. You see, what, what we know about God's word is that it's not just some kind of ink on page that we study like a textbook. It's really, it's what we know is it's active, it's living. And that the, wor the words here are inspired by God. They're God-breathed. And what happens to us is when we get in the word, the word begins to get in us. And whenever I say to us that we don't need to have wishful thinking or naive thinking, I'm not asking you to just believe the best that everything someday, something's going to work out somewhere. What I'm asking you to do is to anchor yourself into the truth of God's promises. And this is what it looks like in your hurtful situations. One of the verses that has given me so much life is this. 
Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ. Whose work is it? It's God's. What does completion mean? It's a passing grade, a solid 70, right? No. It's a full, completed work. And so whenever we are in the process of, of trying to find hope in our hurts, what we can do is we can go to God, not just read these things as cute tweets, right? But we, we let these things marinate in our soul. And what begins to happen is we don't just bring these things up to our mind, but we actually believe them that we are all, when I think about uh, Paul writing to the Philippian church, they're a hurting church. They're going through some hard times. He says to them, don't give up because the same God that started the work in you is going to finish it. Church, please hear me. The same God that has begun a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion in the day of Christ. You may not feel it, but your feelings will deceive you. One of our pastors says often, he says that, that, that feelings make great servants but terrible masters. You see, when we believe the truth of God's word, we know that there's no situation too far beyond God's redemptive reach. Another more popular verse, right, is Romans 8, 28. That says this, that, that we know that all things work together for the good. How many, how many of y'all want your situation to work together for good? Nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, man, I just really hope things get worse today. <laughs> right? But we know this, that all things work together for good, but that's not where the verse ends. All things work together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. The prerequisite to the good. You are called according to God's purposes. You love him. Don't expect things to turn out for good if you don't love him. Jesus' own words, right? If you say you love me and you don't keep my commandments, you aren't of me. How do we know whether we love God or not? The proof is in the pudding. Obedience. Faithfulness. It's not just about following some a set of rules, regulations militantly. It's about recognizing that those rules, regulations are meant to, to, to build you up in your pursuit of Jesus. They are the boundary markers on the path to Jesus that keep you from getting off into dangerous territory. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter says this, you rejoice in this, that even though now for a short, short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Listen, if I'm suffering and you call me to rejoice, I'm going to think you're crazy, right? Like when we, are, when we are neck deep in our feelings and in our hurts, somebody's showing up and just saying, hey, rejoice. You might want to backhand somebody. I don't recommend it, okay? But it does not feel good to throw that kind of encouragement to somebody. We want relief. But man, I know Peter's onto something, the relief is in the rejoicing. Why? Because God's working through it. What does he say? He says this. He goes on to say, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, though perishable, is refined by fire. Here's what he's saying. Rejoice because God's not wasting your hurt. 
Church, you can rejoice in your hurt because God is not wasting your hurt. He is more faithful than you could ever be. He is more persistent than you can ever be. But the promise in this, that the word in this, right, so that the proven character of your faith, meaning your perseverance, the object of your faith is Jesus. The more you look to him, though you might suffer, you continue to keep your eyes on him and push forward and endure. God honors that, and he will use the hurt, hurting situation to refine you. And the passage goes on to say, and it may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So if you're feeling hurt today, please hear me say, God's, God's not wasting your hurt if you're looking at him, if you're persevering, if you're listening to the fact that this God who speaks is present. and He's encouraged. He's directing you. He wants to pull you out of the mud, not push you deeper in it. So what needs to be done? The question, right, I got asked by my, my friend. Where is God in all this? I think he meant that as a challenge to me, to challenge my faith. Well, if God is so good, then why am I in this situation? Have I not been trying? Uh, I think where he went wrong is he asked me the question rather than God. <laughs> because the point of today's sermon is that God speaks. We don't have to keep God up here as this like lofty kind of philosophy somewhere. This is a personal God who's deeply interested in you and he is so interested in you that he wants to speak to you and encourage you and take you where you need to go. So church, simple question, are, are you listening for the voice of God in the midst of your hurts? If not, I, I have a hard time believing that you, you can get out. I don't mean that as any kind of condemnation. I, I want to help. I want to help you orient your ear to the voice of God who loves you. What we also learn from this passage, our third reality comes from the next story. And, and that is that if there's a positional reality, a potential reality, there's also a personal reality. That is that God cares about you. Let's read the story. Uh, Luke chapter six, sorry, verse, uh, chapter seven, verses 11 through 17. The word of God says this, afterward, he was on his way to town, uh, to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. And just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. And he was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was also with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the, the open coffin. And the pallbearer stopped, and he said, young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. And the fear gripped, uh, came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. Jesus was present. It's hard enough to lose somebody. I'm willing to bet that everybody in this room, just, everybody in this room has been touched by death in some way. And if you're like me, it doesn't feel good. But I, I want to tell you, regardless of how you feel about it, God's not intimidated 
by the hurt, by the situation. And Jesus goes. He makes it personal. He sees this widow and he's moved with compassion. I want to be clear on this. Compassion is not pity. Like Jesus wasn't sitting from a plate, like an ivory tower somebody, somewhere and like, oh, I'm sinless and so I've never been through that before. That's terrible. Jesus identified with her on a gut level <laughs> that things were not as they were supposed to be. And that same Jesus that was personal to the widow wants to be personal with you to identify that the hurts that you experience are not as they're supposed to be. And he doesn't shrink back. He doesn't hide from it. He doesn't find something better to do. He steps up into it. And what does he do? He addresses her and he says to her, don't weep. Like, if I'm crying and it hurts, saying don't weep isn't going to help a lot. Sorry. Okay? But it helps here because you're not Jesus. As much as I love you, be encouraged by that. Okay? I'm not Jesus for you. Jesus can say, don't weep, and you have, to, you have to believe that a statement like that in the presence of such hurt is, is a, an incision that's supposed to show us that he is in the process of rooting out the things that are hurting so that he can bring proper healing. What does he do in that situation? He says, don't weep, because he knows what he's about to do. He's about to not just heal, but restore. Listen, as a widow, she would have had nothing. It's just the cultures are different. You just need to bear with me. I don't have a ton of time to get into it. Here's what happens, right? Uh, her husband dies, right? She's at her son's mercy at this point. Her young son dies. She has nobody. I mean, she has no economic resources. She has no social resources. In some ways that she could have even been kind of relegated to the outside of the church, she has no place. The weeping that she's enduring at this time goes so much deeper than the loss of a loved one. But Jesus sees it with compassion, moves to her, comforts her. And then he touches the casket of her son, which is forbidden in Jewish law. What I want to say is I think this is a healthy time to tell you that it's for moments like this, it's good to have developed the discipline of hearing from God. Because sometimes the hurt just turns up the volume of life and it's hard to hear much of anything but the hurt. But when you are constantly in communication with God, hearing from him, receiving his love, his voice becomes a little bit louder. And the presence of those hurts, though it may hurt, the presence of his voice is a signal of hope. That God has not abandoned us to our hurts. So what does he do in this situation? He, he walks to the casket, touches it. And then he calls out, young man, rise up. And the man sits up. Jesus does the impossible. The impossible. This does not happen impossible. <laughs> and he does this because he loves them. His compassion on them. And listen, I, I would imagine that her feelings in that moment were, were pretty loud for her. But her feelings didn't stop a move of God. I've dealt with more death in the last couple of years than I care to ever again. Like probably a lot of us. 
And I went to a funeral yesterday for a good friend of mine. It's my best friend's father-in-law. Um, and this man loved the Lord, y'all. He loved the Lord. And uh, in, in some ways, he was as good of a friend to me as my best friend. It was just kind of the situation where I would walk into the house, and he just welcomes us, open arms, hey, help yourself, you know, eat all the food. And they had lots of food. It was great. But uh, Vince was diagnosed with stage four cancer when they found it. Like it was heavy. This is years ago. And it hurt in that moment because, in my mind, man, Vince loves Jesus. Like, God, why? God, I know you can't. I know you can step in and fix this. So let's do it, right? And so this time last year, I showed up to Vince's house for the first time really since the pandemic because he was immunocompromised and stuff. We couldn't really go. But I show up and I'm like, Vince, you look really good. And he says, yeah, well, yeah. I feel really good. Everything's in remission. I'm feeling really, really great. And I praise God for that. But I was at his funeral yesterday because that sickness came back with a vengeance. Within the span of two weeks, I mean, it just depleted him. And it does not feel good to show up to his viewing, to his funeral, and to see somebody that loved Jesus so faithfully endure such a terrible death. And then to sit with his weeping wife and my really good friend, their daughter. What I could have done in those moments, and really kind of what God forced me to do, was to remember that even though I felt a lot of ways about that, the truth of Vince's passing was that precious in the sight is the death of his saints. I'm going to be honest with you. Watching people that love the Lord die, is not, it does not feel precious to me. It feels ugly. It feels unjust. It feels, man, it feels hard. It feels wrong. But I want to give you this gift that somebody gave me, and that is that your feelings rarely, rarely paint a portrait of reality. So even though my feelings told me that this is not good and things can't come from this that are good, I'm reminded that my feelings don't paint an accurate picture of reality. In fact, what I would say is, is because of the personal reality that we have with Jesus, we, got to, we also get to experience the powerful reality, which is the fourth reality for us. And the powerful reality of experiencing God in our situations is that the, the power does not rest in how we feel about our hurts. But it's what God has done through the hurts. Like I said, Vince loved the Lord. And I walked up to his casket, I laid my hands on it, and I prayed over Vince. I prayed to the Lord to receive him well. And do you know what happened? Vince didn't get up when I prayed over it. Do you know why? It's because I'm not Jesus. Vince doesn't need me to be Jesus. I think I'm okay, but I make a terrible Jesus. And I think what happens for us sometimes is when we get locked into the hurt, we look to the, the, the next thing that could help alleviate some of that pain. But what we can find is this, right? Like, I am nobody's savior. I could not save him even if I tried. But listen, the death of 
of the Lord's saints is precious in his sight because, because of the work of Jesus, death doesn't have a final judgment. Biblically, we find this truth that, that our sin, our rebellion from God comes with a price. It's death. The wages of sin is death. You earn your death because of your rebellion against God. That thing was meant to be the final stop before we spend eternity apart from Jesus. But in his goodness, because God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that his son could die our death so that we may be reunited with God. So though death is no longer the final judgment, it still stings, but it does not sting for long. It's precious for saints because death becomes the doorway into the eternal embrace of their Savior. Even the things that hurt the most, God can repurpose as avenues for hope. How's your humility? Do you know Jesus personally? Because if you don't know Jesus personally, there's not a lot of hope. There's no hope for you. But this isn't a means to just kind of like uh, uh, guilt you into giving your life to the Lord. What I'm telling you is this, right? Like we have this hope for eternity, but we also have this promise for today. Man, my, my dad's favorite verse he would preach a lot was, was John 10.10. 10. I, uh, I have, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. My dad would re, uh, 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 retranslate that and say, I have come so that you may have a life that blows your mind. We don't have to wait for eternity to experience hope and healing. Because of the work of Jesus, we have that available to us at large. Praise be to God. So if you've not given your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you if you want to do that today. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. Today can be the day where you step out of of hurt. Maybe you're still in the midst of hurt, but you can find hope in the presence of your hurt because you know Jesus is next to you. And if you are ready to give your life to the Lord, what I'm going to ask you to do is just repeat this prayer. Again, there's nothing magical about this. It's really just about the sincerity of your heart. God's word tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe uh, in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you want to get saved today, just repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you for your forgiveness. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my life. I want to trust you. I want to follow you. You are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.